Amen. So we first learned about Mary when we went through our series, Mary and Martha, and without going too much into it, because I've been recapping it every week, we learned the importance of learning to sit at Jesus' feet. It's okay to serve like Martha, but until we start to sit at his feet, we're going to be, we're going to continue to be anxious and troubled about everything that's going on in our lives. And one of the things we implemented as a church was sit and serve. Churches are notorious for using people who are willing to serve and using them to serve until they run out of energy. And I just really feel that is not a biblical model. So one of the things we're doing is if you serve, we are going to ask you um, to sit as well. And so I know we've had several meetings already with different ministries, but we're, I'm very passionate about this because I've seen people, good people, people who love the Lord, who have things to offer the body of Christ just burn out and sideline for months and even years at a time. And I think, and I know that the Lord has a better way for us. So sit and serve. You'll be hearing more about that with your ministries. Um, as I mentioned a second ago, we, we looked at, we were going to look at in this message and last week, the two other times that Mary's mentioned in the Bible. Now, I mentioned last week, there are many Marys in the Bible, there, and I don't, didn't, we didn't have that slide today, but there are six different Marys. So there's Mary, which is Jesus' mother, Mary of Bethany, Mary Magdalene, and three other Marys. So that we're talking about Mary of Bethany. Last week, we talked about uh, their, their brother, Mary Martha's brother, Lazarus, and how G, uh, Lazarus died. But although he died, he was raised from the dead. And we looked at, we just read through, the, read through the text and found some biblical truths. But one of the things that we specifically looked at was Jesus' response to Mary and Martha. If you remember, if you're here last week or if you read the story, you, we read that both Mary and Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you remember that? Because they knew that he had performed other miracles and to some degree they knew that he was the Messiah. And they said, Jesus, if you had come a little sooner, my brother would not have died. But what do we also learn? That Jesus responded differently to both of them. Even though they asked the same question, there was a different response. How did Jesus respond to Mary? The Bible says that he wept. And it's one of three times recorded in the Bible that Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep when She's, when he saw Mary broken and asking this question, I believe it's because Jesus was closer to Mary than he was to Martha. Because Mary took the time to sit at his feet. This is the value of sitting at Jesus' feet, not just serving him. You may have a lot of talents, a lot of skills. You may have a lot to offer the people around you, your family, friends. But until we learn to sit at his feet, I really believe we can't know the heart of God well. I've, I know people who have served years and years, but they still get anxious and troubled about the smallest things. Doesn't mean you're not a good servant. Doesn't mean you don't have a lot to offer, but it, it shows me you haven't taken the time to be close to Jesus. There have been people throughout history who have really devoted their lives to being close to God. I talked about Moses last week. Moses many times interceded for Israel when they disobeyed God. And there were several times where God said, I'm going to kill all of these people because they are continually rejecting me and disobeying me. And Moses, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Moses, time and time again, said, said no, Lord, please don't do that. Then what will the Egyptians say? They, that you brought them out of Egypt just to kill them in the wilderness. Don't do that. The reason I believe that God listened to Moses is because Moses was close to God. 
And there, and there have been other people, not just within the word, but throughout history, who I believe have moved the heart of God because they chose to be close. Listen, Mary was close to Jesus because she chose to be close to him. It's a choice. Everyone has an invitation to be close, not just to come to church, not just to serve, not just to do all the church things, but to truly be close to him. So I'm going to ask you again, how close do you want to be to Jesus? You know, the amazing thing and also kind of the, the most challenging thing is that we decide how close we are to Jesus. And many times we blame people, we blame our past, we blame family, we blame churches, we blame so many people as to why we're not hearing God or experiencing God, why well, I'm not being fed. How many of y'all have said that or have heard that before? Well, I'm not going there because I'm not being fed. The truth is you get fed one time a week at church. Every day you need to feed yourself. And this is why we're here, to learn how to feed ourselves. How close do you want to be to Jesus? Okay, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 12. We're going to read the third and final mention of Mary of Bethany in the Bible. What's interesting is all of these, uh, all three times Mary is mentioned in the Bible, her sister Martha is also mentioned. I could have easily just continued with the Mary Martha series, but I really felt like in that series we needed to focus on sitting with Jesus. But all of this, all, every time you see Mary of Bethany mentioned, you always see Martha mentioned. John chapter 12. But I want you to skip to verses 9 through 11 real quickly. I want to read that and then we'll go back and read the first eight verses. It says this, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing Jesus. I want you to go back to verse 12 real quick. You may have missed this, but this is a very interesting thing that, the, that John records. It says, um, verse 10, sorry. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Think about how much you have to hate a person or to, to have hated Jesus to kill the miracle that he performed. I mean, that, he was, Lazarus, Lazarus was dead and raised to life again. And because they hated Jesus so much, they wanted to put him to death. You would think that if you had an enemy, right? Apparently, the religious leaders considered Jesus their enemy. You would think that if your enemy raised someone from the dead, you would leave him alone. Because you think, man, if he raised someone from the dead, he could surely take, my, take their life as well. But they didn't, and they kept pursuing Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is sometimes our enemy? What? Jesus is our enemy? Yes, even as believers, he will not just be, not just be an enemy, he will oppose us. Why? Because many times we're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And the word says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, means he will resist the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. And thank you, Jesus, that he does oppose us because otherwise we would walk ourselves right off a cliff. Jesus will oppose us. He will be our enemy. And we have to learn to surrender to his will because his will is best. Now, why did the religious leaders hate Jesus? Let's go. Well, you don't have to turn. You can stay at John's will. But in John 11, verse 45, I believe it explains why they hated him so much. 
Many of the Jews, therefore, verse 45, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, that is, raised Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. Many Jews saw what he did. And, and of course, if you saw someone raise another person from the dead, you would probably believe in them too. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They snitched on him. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Listen to this. The reason they hated Jesus so much is because they feared that Jesus would take their power away from them. They had this position. They had this authority. The Jews were leaving them. They were losing their influence. And they said, we have to do something about Jesus. But I don't think it was just about the power. I believe it was about what the power brought, which is these inner needs we've been talking about the past few months. Identity, security, purpose. This power gave them a purpose. This power gave them an identity, a a person, a group of people to be feared and to be respected. It wasn't just about the power. It was about these inner needs that the power was feeding Again, I spoke about identity during Martha and Mary. Martha self-identified as a servant, which I believe is why she was anxious and troubled. She didn't see herself as a child of God the way that Mary did, but saw herself first and foremost as a servant. Therefore, she was anxious and troubled. And listen to this. I also believe it's the reason why she started accusing Mary and Jesus because of her identity. What do I mean? If Mar- Go back to the previous series. If Martha was truly content serving, and not just serving anyone, but serving the Son of God, there would have been no reason for her to bother Jesus and Mary. Mary as Mary was sitting at his feet and Jesus as he was teaching, right? If she was truly content in who she was as a servant, then she would have been bothered. She would have been said, you know what? I'm, I'm super thankful to be serving the Messiah the son of God, I'm going to let Mary stay at Jesus's feet. But how she saw herself did not fulfill her or bring her contentment, which is why she lashed out at Mary and Jesus. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going deep right now, but I need you to listen. Mary thought Jesus and Mary were the reason for her own problems and issues. Did you catch that? Martha thought Jesus and Mary were the reason for her problems and issues. Again, if she had been content, I know people who serve very well, who are very talented. Um, most, of the t- most people that I know that are talented and serve well usually don't want help. Is that true? Because they know how to do it the right way. Martha, to me, was probably one of the best servants that the church has ever seen. But it wasn't enough to bring her the peace and contentment that her soul needed. Which is the reason she lashed out to Jesus and Martha. You ever known someone like that blaming others for their own problems? What do we call that? A victim mentality. Listen to this. If someone is your problem, then they have to be your solution. I think this is hitting home today. If someone is your problem, meaning I can't stand this person, 
I wish they would, they ruin my day. I can't, I wish they would talk to me better. I wish they would communicate. I wish this and that. Essentially, this is what you're saying. They, this person that I am in conflict with has to treat me, has to act better so that I can feel better. Let me ask you another question. Do you want to be at the mercy of someone else? Do you want your peace to be at the mercy of someone else's behavior towards you? I'm telling you, if someone is your problem, then they have to be your solution. In a similar way, the religious leaders blamed Jesus for their own discontentment, and they declared war on Jesus, which is why they eventually killed him. When we don't receive our identity from Jesus, we will always be at war with someone. Either someone on the outside or at war with ourselves. Think about the fights that you're in right now. The arguments you're having with your spouse, with, your, with, the, with the boss. Someone is not doing something right and it's affecting your peace. Is that right? Does that make does that someone is doing something to you, speaking a certain way to you? Do you think that logically makes sense? Do you think someone should have should be able to have that type of power over you? But how many do? See, this is this was Martha's issue. Even though she was a great servant, served the Son of God. I mean, what? What better privilege would any of us ever have? But because she didn't know who she was, she was anxious and troubled. She had a misplaced identity. Because if she truly understood who she was, the Son of God, who she was as a child of God, as a daughter of God, then she wouldn't have been bothered. She would have said, hey... I know, I know Mary must be, I know Mary must be learning something at Jesus' feet. Yeah, yeah, I would like the help, but I know everything's going to work out. Because that's, and, and I, I identify, I've said this many times, a lot with Martha. I, I can, I know how, especially when it comes to ministry, I've been in almost every part of ministry. So I know how to, how it's supposed to operate, how things are supposed to get done. And so I, if I'm not careful, I'll take on that responsibility. But one of the things I've learned is that this is not, my kingdom. And I, I, never, I never saw it selfishly as I, like, oh no, this is mine. I thought, oh no, this is my responsibility. But the, ultimately, this is God's kingdom. This is his church. And if it rises, it's because of him. If it falls, it's because of him. And if anything else happens, it's because of him. And I have learned to find, hey, my identity is not in being a good pastor or being a good leader. My identity is being a son of God. And that has brought so much freedom and peace. But it's been a process. And it's a process for all of us. This is the reason Mary was at his feet because she understood that that was her true identity and that's where peace, her peace and fulfillment came. They did it, I ran across the interview that um, a man had and he was talking about an interview that he had with Kobe Bryant. And we all know who Kobe Bryant was, one of the greatest athletes, not just basketball players that ever lived. And he said that Kobe said that his first year playing basketball, he was 12 years old, And during that first year, you know how many points he scored? No points. Zero points at 12 years old. You would think people who are for sure athletes, um, they they automatically score points because they're they're talented. And yet, in spite of that first year, probably if your child didn't score any points the first year, you'd probably say, let's try something else, right? (laughs) 
let's try um, <laughs> book reading, just kidding. Um, but Kobe went on to become one of the greatest athletes of all time. The interview asked Kobe, so what was it? How do, were you able to keep going? How were you able to push past that first year? And also, what was it that your father, um, what, are, what is one of the greatest lessons your father taught you that made, that made you so dominant? And he said this. He said, my dad told me that whether I scored one point, 100 points or no points, whether I won or lost, he wasn't going to love me any differently. He was going to love me that same. And he said that that understanding pushed him to, he said that that understanding gave him permission to fail. Because he knew that whether he won or lost, his father was going to love him the same. You see, Kobe understood his identity as a son, as a loved son. Martha didn't have that identity, and many of us don't have that identity, and it causes fear, it causes anxiety. This issue of identity is much more important than we realize. The religious leaders didn't have it. Their identity was in their power, and their power was about to be taken away, and they were scared, and they killed because of it. They killed the Son of God. How many of us, I'm telling you, most of the fights and arguments that we are in with whoever is because we don't really understand who we are. Because if we truly knew that we were children of God, we are children of God, and that our Father is going to provide for us no matter whether we lose our position, we lose our job, we lose a promotion, we lose... If we know that our Father is going to take care of us, then nothing can take our peace. But if we are being influenced or... Um, affected by the people around us is because we don't know who we are. Let me ask you, do you know who you are? Are you what you're good at? Are you what's in your bank account? Do you know who you are? Okay, let's go to John. Let's go to the first verse of uh, John chapter 12. I'm going to read through the story and then I'm going to break it down. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, where, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That was the previous chapter. So they gave, him a din- they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, of course she did. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, we're going to come back to that. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said this. Why was this ointment, this perfume, not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Be careful with who asks you certain questions. It's not always this, the right intention of the question they're asking. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, we're going to come back to it in a second. This is a story about a woman, Mary, anointing the feet of Jesus with his perfume and then wiping his feet with her hair. You may not realize this. How many of y'all heard this story before? Okay. You may not realize this, but Jesus was, Jesus was actually anointed by at, at least two different women, possibly three. 
There are four accounts of this story in the Bible or similar stories in Mark 20, Mark 20, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 7, and John 12. But the truth is, Jesus was probably not just anointed by one Mary. He was probably anointed by Mary of Magdalene and maybe one other person. So what happened in this, in this passage? Jesus' friends prepare a dinner for him in another, in another um, book. It says it was maybe Lazarus, uh, not Lazarus, it was maybe um, Simon's house, Simon the leper. And then, or maybe it was at, um, also at Mary, Martha, and Simon's house. But they prepared this dinner for him, and I made this joke that Martha was serving. There's not, there's not an issue with Martha serving, but it's, is that my identity? Then we see, it's the word says, we see Mary go to a familiar place. Where did she go? To Jesus' feet. But this time, she brought him something. The Bible says she brought him this perfume, poured it on his feet, and then wiped his feet with her hair. This was a very humble and sacrificial act that we're going to come back to in a second. I want to go look at, if you could put on verse 3, I want to read uh, this verse. It says that she brought um, a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. This was a very expensive perfume. The King James Version doesn't say nard. It uses the word spike nard to describe the perfume. Spike nard is and was an Indian plant growing in the Himalayan mountains. Um, and what they would do is they would take um, the roots and make an a ointment or perfume out of it. This perfume had a strong, distinctive aroma that would fill the house. It was kind of like an essential oil. It would cling to the skin, cling to the hair, and give off the perfume or the fragrance for a very, very long time. It was very valuable. It was considered one of the best things of the culture. So like in this culture, when you think of watches, you think of like the best Rolex. When you think of handbags, women, you think of, I know there's a lot of different, you think of like Louis Vuitton, you think of um, Birkin bags. They was considered one of the very best of the culture. And because it was from the Himalayan mountains in India, Nepal, it had to be imported to Israel, which made it even that more expensive because they didn't have... Amazon Prime back then. You didn't get it in two days. You probably got it in two years if you ordered it. So you had to... The, the, <laughs> I want to make jokes, but I got to keep going. I was going to say whether it was by donkey or by horse or camel. I don't know. Um, it had to be imported, which made it that more expensive. In the Song of Solomon, the woman that the, the book describes pours out a similar fragrance for her lover, for the king. And in that passage, it says it, it fills the room. In a similar way, Mary pours out this valuable perfume to demonstrate her love to Jesus. Remember, and, and I've said this in the past, but love is not love unless it is expressed. You can't say you love someone without proving it. You have to prove it. You can't just say it. You have to prove it with your time. There are many different love languages. I encourage you, to read that book, Love Languages, and figure out what love languages you have. That way you can love your spouse and love one another better. But it has to be expressed. How much did Mary love Jesus? Well, the Bible says that this perfume costs 300 denarii. This is what Judah said, 300 denarii. Well, what was the denarii? The denarii during that time was a day's wage. So you would go from to work at, you know, 8 in the morning to whatever time at night, and you were, would be paid a denarii. The Bible says this was worth 300 denarii. 
which means if you take out, take out the weekends and holidays, it was about a year's wage. That's how much this perfume cost. So how much did Mary love Jesus? She was willing to sacrifice an entire year's wage to prove it to him. Some scholars even believe that this perfume represented her inheritance from her father, from her family, or even her dowry. A dowry was what a betrothed woman would bring to her husband and give it to him. A dowry is something that was customary but also necessary. If you were a single woman back then, you had to bring a dowry to, and I'm sure there were arranged marriages back then, so probably the bigger the dowry you brought, the, uh, the more qualified you were to get a certain man. And vice versa, it was all about these resources. And so scholars believe that Mary, Mary's dowry was this ointment. You need to understand this. Before Mary poured out this ointment on Jesus' feet, she had to contemplate what she was really doing. This dowry didn't just represent a marriage, it represented her kids. And in biblical times, if you didn't have kids, you were seen as cursed not blessed. You were seen, you were, you were looked very, looked at very differently. So this dowry didn't just represent her marriage, it represented her kids. It represented her grandkids. It represented her legacy. It represented her heritage. Before she came to Jesus, she had to contemplate all these things. And you know what her conclusion was at the end of all that? Jesus, if I never get married, if I never have these things happen in my life, okay because you've already done so much for me when i was broken whenever i was lost whenever i was sick you came and spoke identity to me and gave me purpose when mary anointed jesus she gave him everything she had in today's society we we champion singleness but back then you were looked down on if you stayed single, and Mary was willing to give all that to him. I'm going to come back to that in a second. I want to read the response again of Judas and the disciples, but I want to read it in Mark. Uh, that's another account, I believe, of the same story. Mark 14, verse 3, it says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of Pyrenard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. It's very, I know in the other, in John, it says poured it on his feet. And here it says on his head, but it's very likely that it was poured on both places. Verse four, there were some though who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Think about that. Think about how off base you have to be for scolding someone for giving something to Jesus. Not even thinking about Jesus at that point. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Many people think, scholars believe that this was a prophetic sign. She was anointing him because he was about to be crucified, be buried, and then, and then rise again. There's many different meanings. What, what does Jesus say her reward is? Look at verse 9. And truly I say to you, 
Every one of you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And this is true. There are many famous songs in uh, written murals painted depicting what she did for Jesus. And it's even possible, think about this. This was right before Jesus was to be tortured, crucified, and crucified. It's very possible that as Jesus was being tortured, he would still be able to smell the fragrance on his body. It was that strong. Reminding him of why he was going to the cross. They said, you don't know, he said, why is she doing this? And Jesus knew them, like most of us, we don't really understand his ways, but Jesus said, she's doing something for me, and I'm going sh- to notice it later. The main point that I wanted to bring to you t- is this. Mary brought something to Jesus when she came to his feet. And it wasn't just anything. It was something very costly. It was everything that she had. It was her future. But she was scolded. It's too much, Mary. Really, you're gonna, you're willing to give up. You're willing to give up your future. I'm sure Jesus will understand if you only pour a little bit out, or if you don't do it at all. Because I'm sure He wants you to get married. I'm sure He wants you to do this. How many times do you use that excuse? Well, I don't think God would ask you to do that. Because God wants you to be happy. God wants you to do this. Yes, God does want you to be happy, but He wants you to be submissive first, because He knows what comes out of that, the blessings that come from obeying Him and surrendering to Him. It's the same thing that Martha told, told her. You're wasting your time, Mary, at Jesus' feet. You need to come actually be productive and come into the kitchen and help me prepare this meal for, for Jesus. And Jesus said, no, it's not going to be taken away from her. You see, when we first come to Jesus, we come broken. We come confused. We come without an identity, without a purpose, and that's okay. Jesus comes and he receives us. He puts clothes on us. He speaks tenderly to us. He gives us a purpose. He gives us an identity. He comforts us. But there comes a time when we have to bring something to him. The Bible says when we're born again, we come, we're born again as babies. Babies really can't do anything. Toddlers can't do anything. But as you mature and as you grow, you, you have to learn to give to others. Listen, we give to Jesus because he first gave to us. He first gave to us. And let me just remind you, what he gives to us is much greater than anything we could ever give to him. Mary understood this. That's why she was willing to sacrifice everything and pour it at Jesus' feet. Because she realized, yeah, I, I'm, I may, the world may say that I'm going to miss out, but I already know what he's done for my soul. Amen. I want to ask you a question. What are you bringing to Jesus? In the Old Testament, they had the, 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 the altar, they had the, the tabernacle. You couldn't come into God's presence unless you brought a sacrifice. Being a believer is a hard thing. It's a very rewarding thing, don't get me wrong. It's a very rewarding thing, but it's also a very hard thing because you have to continually sacrifice to Him. And I believe he asks us in different seasons, in different days to bring different things. I want to ask you, what is God asking you to bring him today and to sacrifice to him?